0: Today we're going to continue a series that we have begun looking at Old Testament stories, most of which you are familiar with, and today we have come to the first marriage. Now it might be that children have a better understanding of marriage than do adults. Alan, age 10, wrote, you've got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like sports, and she should keep the chips and dips coming. (laughs) Freddie, age six, said, no age is good to get married at. You've got to be a fool to get married. Anita, age eight, said, it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need someone to clean up after them. And Ricky, age ten, gave this advice, tell your wife that she looks pretty. Even if she looks like a truck. (laughs) Well, there are some of you who are not married and you plan to be married someday. You want to be married. I have a couple of questions for you. The first question is what do you want? What is it that attracts you to the person of the opposite sex? As a woman, what do you want in a husband? As a husband, what do you want in a woman? Well, I think probably we would say the first attraction is physical attractiveness. That was true with Jacob. When he saw Rachel, he was attracted to her physically. In fact, the Bible says in Genesis 29:11, 11, Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted his voice and wept. When he saw her, he was moved to tears. She was a pretty woman. And then, of course, Samson was attracted to pretty women. He, at one time, had seen a Philistine, and he was, uh, he was impressed with her. And so he went to his parents and uh, said in Judges 14, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. He saw her, and he thought, This must be the one for me. She looks good to me. I still remember when I saw Linda the first time. She was 12 years old, and the first time I remember seeing her, she was 12 years old. I saw her, and and, uh, I had a similar reaction. I thought, she looks good to me. And uh, she still looks good to me. So I think that one of the things that attracts us is physical attractiveness. Now, we'd like to think we're more spiritual than that, but probably we're not. And then uh, the second question that I would have, let me see, there's physical attractiveness. And another thing that we want in a, a person is someone who shares our dreams with us. Primarily, or basically, what we want in the other person is someone to share our lives. Someone who is willing to share their life with us. So, what do you want? I think that you have to think that through. What do you want in a mate? Now, the second question is, where do you look? I mean, if you're looking for milk, you look in the refrigerator. If you're looking for your car, you look in the garage. But if you're looking for a bride, there's not a bride store down there. You don't go down there and find one. Or if you're looking for a husband, there's not a husband store. So where do you look for the mate that you want? Well, you can find your mate anywhere. I mean, some, I'm sure some of you have some interesting stories about that. Some you would probably tell. Perhaps some you would not. But we can find a mate anywhere. Therefore, we need God's direction. And the Bible says in Jeremiah 33, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. So, if you're looking for someone or if you're going to be looking for someone, then you ask God to help you. I remember when I was younger and, and, you know, you, you, you look around. Guys look around. Eli's told me that he did, but, you know, you look around. And uh, these girls would go by and you'd think, God, did you see that one? I mean, you did a good job on her. Maybe that's the one. But we seek the direction of God. And then there's common sense. When you're looking for a spouse, there's some common sense that ought to be involved in it. For instance, are we spiritually compatible? Now, I know for some of you that's not a big issue right now. But let me tell you this. It's going to be someday. I can assure you there's coming a time in your life when that is going to be a major issue. Am I spiritually compatible with this person? Am I financially compatible with this person? Do we agree agree concerning financial issues? Because that also is going to be a major concern down the road. What about the family? Do we share a similar philosophy concerning the family? Because that is also going to be an important issue. Today we look at the first marriage. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse number 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now, as we are talking about marriage today, as you are considering this passage of Scripture, marriage must have a spiritual foundation. If you are going to have a successful marriage, then it must be built on a spiritual foundation. Now, I say that because marriage came from God. It did not come from the Supreme Court. So our understanding of marriage, then, is based on God. It came from Him. Now then, within the context of what we're looking at, it begins with the problem in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now then, up to this point, everything God has created has been followed with the words that it was good. This is the first time that God said something was not good. Why was it not good for man to be alone? Well, some would say because man is incompetent alone, that he is helpless alone. You know, men can't find their socks, they can't find their shorts, they can't find their shirts. I I can't remember the number of times that I've been walking through the house with my keys in my hand asking, Linda, have you seen my keys? And so some people would say, well, the reason God said that is because man can't make it alone. Well, I believe it was because of his aloneness that he felt incomplete. Now, I am not suggesting that everyone should be married. In fact, there is a question as to whether or not the Apostle Paul was married. We do know that the Apostle Paul said, if you don't need to get married, then you're better off not getting married. But for most people, there is a sense of incompletion without a spouse. In fact, the word suitable means corresponding to or to complete. You see, man by himself is not balanced. For instance, I am not intuitive. I am not intuitive at all. And so I miss a lot of things. I just I just don't get the nuances of a lot of things. That's just not thing that I pick up on. But women have a tendency to be more intuitive. And I know that my, I know that my wife is far more intuitive than I. And uh, then men have a tendency to get in a routine. Now, what that means is that we're basically boring. I mean, after, after the dating stage, we, we're pretty boring. We get in a rut. Someone has said that a rut is nothing but a grave with the ends kicked out. and But we, we feel comfortable in them. Man is not as strong by himself. The Bible says two are better than one. So he says that, that it is not good for man to be alone. And then we see the solution there in verse number 18. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So God said it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is suitable for him. Dr. Ed Wheat says that helper refers to a beneficial relationship where one person aids or supports another. It is the same word used in Psalm 46, 1, where God is said to be a very present help in trouble. Now, husbands, do you see your wives as helpers? Wives, are you a helper or a supervisor? We begin with the spiritual foundation. If you are going to have a successful marriage, there must be a spiritual foundation because marriage was God's idea. Now there's a sacred association. Look at verse number 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man. And brought her to the man. I've told this story, but I like it, so I'm telling it again for my benefit. You might perhaps have not heard the story about the Lord coming to Adam one day in the garden and saying, Adam, I'm going to give you a wife. And Adam said, Lord, what's a wife? And God said, oh, you're going to be pleased, Adam. She is going to be beautiful. She is going to cook for you. She's going to iron your clothes. She's going to meet you at the door when you come home from work. You're going to like her. And Adam was excited, and then he says, Lord, what's this going to cost me? And the Lord said, an arm and a leg. And Adam thought for a moment, and he said, what can I get for a rib? The Bible says that the husband and the wife become one. Now, because they become one, there is a connection between the husband and the wife that I would compare to the connection between the parts of the body. Now, if they become one as the body, then there is this connection. For instance, the parts of my body have no desire to be separated from the rest of the body. My hand has no desire to be separated from my arm. There is a connection there. I think the same thing is true within the husband-wife relationship. I have no desire to be separated from my wife. We are one. We are connected. Now, then our connection depends on honesty. Now, that's true with the parts of the body. And remember that when two people are married, the Bible says that they become one. So there has to be honesty. For instance, parts of my body... Don't play tricks on the rest of the body because the body would get in trouble as a result of it. So there has to be honesty between a husband and a wife if this is going to work. Being connected also means that we suffer together. You know, if if I hit my hand with the hammer, the rest of my body sympathizes. It joins in, it suffers with it. Well, the same thing is true in the husband-wife relationship. When I suffer, my wife suffers with me. In fact, I oftentimes think that she suffers far more than I. And then being connected means that you spend time together. That's true with the parts of the body. I've noticed, I don't know how yours is, but I have noticed that my ears and my legs spend a lot of time together. I mean, the parts of the body spend time together. Well, folks, if you're going to have a successful marriage, then you're going to have to spend some time together. You can't go off and live your separate lives. You have to spend time together. There was a tornado in Kansas, and uh, it did a lot of damage. It hit one house and lifted the, the roof off of it. The husband and the wife were asleep in the house lifted the bed out of the house and set it down and the wife begins to cry and the husband is hugging her and he says oh honey we're okay the storm has passed over she's you're all right you don't have to be scared you don't have to cry she said oh it's not that he said well what is it she said this is the first time we've been out of the house together in five years So the Bible says that when two people are married, that they become one. There is a connection and there is also a commitment. The parts of the body are committed to the well-being of the body. For instance, when my stomach is hungry, the rest of the body joins in looking for food. There is a commitment. Now, folks, that has to be true in the husband and wife relationship as well. The husband must be committed to the wife and the wife to the husband. And as Jesus said... Let no man separate what I have joined together. So there's a sacred association. Then there's a satisfying affection. Look at verse number 23. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Becoming one, I think, is a progressive thing. Just, I understand that whenever you are married, that there is a legal issue of becoming one, but actually becoming one is a progressive thing. Now then, gaining in affection for each other is also progressive. It's been suggested that there are three stages to marriage. There's the romance stage. Now, that's when you first get married, you know, and all the romance and so forth, and your maid is perfect, and uh, you write poems and send to her, and you buy flowers, and you would never think of uh, not taking her to seasons of love and buying flowers for her, and all those kinds of things. That's the romance stage. And then the second stage is the reality stage. That's when you begin to think, well, you know, she's not as perfect as I thought she was. And she, th- he's not nearly as smart as I thought he was. I guess Daddy was right about that. The excitement is gone. It's not like it was at the beginning. Then you begin to worry about it a little bit. You know, you were very romantic and and so forth, and now not so much. Reality is... You know, you know what the clue is? That you are in the reality stage in your marriage? That's when you see people who are in the romance stage. And you sort of roll your eyes and think, they're going to get over that. (laughs) When you get to that point, then you're in the reality stage. It's no longer the romance stage, you're in the reality stage. And then there is the third stage, which is the rethinking. That's when you come to the place where you say, well, "I'm not sure. I'm, 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 I'm not sure I want to spend the rest of my life like this." So you begin to rethink things, and then you have to make another decision. Well, I, you know, it's sort of a blah thing. It's not that exciting. It's, but I'm, I, I'm going to stick it out. You know, we just go to this is just the way that it is, it's my cross to bear. I'm just gonna stick in this thing, I'm gonna stay in here, see it through, it's not so great, but I'm gonna see it through. Many Pearl said getting married is a lot like getting into a tub of hot water. After you get used to it, it ain't so hot. Well, there's that, you know, you're rethinking. And there are some people who I believe honestly come to the place and say, Well, you know, I really don't like it, but I'm in it, and I'm going to see it through. Then there are those people who come to that stage, and they say, Well, I'm going to get out of this. I'm not going to spend my life this way. I'm going to get out of it. When I was writing this message and doing some research, I came across a statistic that surprised me. It said the average uh, average marriage in America lasts 7.2 years. That surprised me. The average marriage in America lasts 7.2 years. So whenever you're doing the rethinking, you can say, well, you know, I'm just in this. I'm going to have to see it through. I'm just going to stay. It's not going to be much. And one day I'll go to be with the Lord. So I'm just going to start looking forward to heaven. Or you can say, well, I'm going to get out of it. I'm not going to stay in this. There has to be more to life than this. Or thirdly, you can decide to rebuild your marriage and make it what it ought to be. Ted Turner said, after having done CNN and the Superstation, winning the America's Cup in 1997 in the 95 World Series with the Atlanta Braves, I feel that I can do just about anything except have a successful marriage. Well, folks, you can have a successful marriage. You can build your marriage if you both want to. You can have a successful marriage if you both are committed to it. But you have to be willing to adapt to each other. You're not the same. You have to be willing to adapt to the other person. And then if you're going to have the affection that God wants you to have, then there must be affirmation. Learn to affirm your spouse. My wife is the best there is at that. I mean, she really is. I give her credit for it. She is so affirming to me. She makes me think I'm a lot smarter than I am. She makes my kids think I'm a lot smarter than I am. She makes me think that I'm better than I am. But she is so wonderful at affirming. Affirm your mate. Husbands, you need to affirm your wives. Billy Sunday said, try praising your wife even if it frightens her at first. (laughs) When she's young, she needs you to think and tell her that she's beautiful, but that you value her as a person. Whenever she's up, when she's more mature, she needs... To know that you still think she's pretty. Wives, affirm your husbands. When they're young and idealistic, they need to know that you believe in them. And when they're older and feel useless, they need to think that you still think they're great. We need to learn to affirm each other. And, folks, we simply get out of the habit of it. We simply get out of the habit of affirming each other as husbands and wives. Thirdly, there's allegiance if the affection is going to grow. Herman and Gertrude had been married just a few weeks. She came from a wealthy family, and one day they were walking through the house together, and she said to him, Herman, if it were not for my daddy's money, We would not have this house. He said, I know that, dear. And they walked on through looking at the furnishings and so forth, and she said, Herman, if it were not for my daddy's money, these things would not be here. He said, I know that. About that time, they were bringing in a brand-new flat-screen color television to install. And as they were getting it out of the box, she said, Herman, if it were not for my daddy's money... This TV would not be here. He said, I know that. He said, but Gertrude, if it were not for your daddy's money, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> there really has to be a loyalty and allegiance within marriage. And I love the stories in the Old Testament, Jacob and Rachel and how he loved her. I mean, he did. He loved her. Abraham and Sarah. The Bible tells when Sarah died that Abraham wept. She was the love of his life. That's the reason that I recognize people in the church who've been married for more than 50 years, 50 years or more. It's not just for them, but I want these young people to know that they are a people who are married and they are loyal to each other. They're committed to each other. You'll find that in many of the stories. There's a satisfying affection. Let me conclude real quick. Verse number 24. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Four words to conclude. First of all, leave. Leave his father and his mother. Parents, did you know that our primary job with our children, now listen to me, our primary job with our children is to prepare them to leave. That's your primary job, to prepare your children to leave. Physically, they are to leave home. You know the story of the eagle whenever she builds her nest, that she puts bone and sharp objects in it and then flattens it out, smooths it out. And then when it's time for the eaglets to get out of the nest, if they will not get out, then she gets in with her talons and stirs that up, and it becomes uncomfortable to make them get out. Our children have to leave physically. They also have to leave financially. They need to learn to trust God with their finances also. And they need to leave emotionally. It is not enough for them to leave physically and remain emotionally dependent. The child has to leave home and the parent has to release the child. And that is difficult for most parents, but it is absolutely necessary for the well-being of your child. You have to release the child. So he said, leave and then cleave. Well, they have to leave before they can cleave. And the word cleave means to cling to, to adhere to. Abide fast, to stick to, and you can find that word used in Deuteronomy in several places that give us an understanding of the word Deuteronomy 10:20 You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. In Deuteronomy chapter eleven verse twenty two for you, if you are careful to keep all this commandment, which I am commanding you to do it, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and hold fast same word to him Deuteronomy 30:20 by loving the Lord your God by obeying his voice and by holding fast same word to him for this is your life and the length of your days leave home cling to your spouse you become one which is also progressive You've seen it, I have too. After people have been married a long time, they begin to look alike. Now, that's a frightening thought. but that's. And then in verse number 25, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And that speaks of intimacy, which is blessed within the marriage relationship and is cursed outside the marriage relationship. This is the first marriage. It is still the formula for a successful marriage. Folks, our homes are falling apart. And it's because we're looking everywhere except to God's Word to build them. You must have a spiritual foundation if your marriage is going to be successful. A spiritual foundation. Does yours have that? Here's what I'd like to do today. We're going to extend the invitation. If you're here without Christ, I I pray that you'll trust Christ. You just give your life to Him. We'll be someone here to pray with you and talk with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to welcome you to our church. But if you'd like to just get the hand of your husband, your wife, and come down and just kneel and pray and commit yourselves to the Lord, I want you to do that. It is so important that our homes are built on Jesus Christ. And so I want you to have the opportunity to do that. Stand with me, please, as we pray together. Our gracious Father and God, we come to this invitation. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move upon lives. Especially we pray for those who are lost, that they would trust Christ. Father, for husbands and wives, some whose marriage might be in trouble, and some who simply want to recommit and strengthen their relationship, pray that they'll do so. In Christ's name I ask, amen. You come as the choir sings. I'll greet you. You can just come and pray.